The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business, home, social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. The focus of today's show is a topic you can most likely relate to. It's about getting back on the map of your career when you've fallen off for any of a number of reasons. What I mean by the map of your career is your experience of vitality, growth, and challenge in your work. You can be great at what you do, and yet there's something missing or holding you back. You're lacking the experience that what you do is new and fresh every day. Today, we're going to talk about strategies for reinvigorating your work life. Joining me to provide guidance on this topic is a global recruitment and coaching expert whom I have the privilege of knowing both as a collaborator and a friend. Steve Davis and I co-facilitated about 100 programs on career mobility for people at a turning point in their careers. Steve is the CEO of Renaissance Solutions a staffing and coaching firm that partners globally with professionals who are looking to change the course of their careers or further develop their leadership skills. Steve, thanks so much for joining me to share your expertise. It's my pleasure, Hemda. Thanks for having me. I think that an important facet of being a great coach is appreciating on a personal level what our our clients go through when it comes to falling off the map in their careers and getting back on. So if I may put you on the on the spot, so to speak, I'm just wondering how this experience of falling off the map and getting back on is relatable to you in your own life and what you did to shift the course of your career. Well, that's a great question. Uh, falling off the map, as you put it, is something that I would like to paraphrase. It's almost like hitting bottom. Uh, we think that everything in our lives, professionally and personally, are going well, and sometimes we get blindsided when events or people change. And uh, what happened with me is absolute, positively hitting rock bottom and feeling emotional pain and career pain and compounding that just family pain, because as you know, careers can affect families. It's not just a personal experience. So a uh, real quick background on myself. I started my career when I was in my late teens and early 20s as a recruiter. Did better than I ever thought I would do. Did a career change and found myself in the entertainment marketing industry working with well-known rock and roll bands 
and country music artists and bringing Madison Avenue together with entertainment marketing. Started my own company in the industry and as it happens sometimes, things were going really well financially and all of a sudden they dried up and I found myself scrambling to pay the rent, uh, having difficulty focusing on what I was doing and if I was on my right path to success. So after a lot of soul searching, I uh, found myself in depression. I uh, had just bought a house in the suburbs, had a big nut every month, and uh, that's when I really fell off. I was derailed. I uh, had low self-esteem, and you can imagine everything else that goes through someone's mind when they think that they had their future all planned out for them and everything was, was roses. Well, it was more like weeds. Mm. And um, after a while, I realized that I had to do some soul-searching and a reality check and um, started to uh, run out of money and um, tried to apply for jobs in diners and coffee shops as a waiter and was turned down. Steve, I have a question for you. Sure. It sounds like this was a very difficult experience emotionally going from a situation where you were really thriving and finding yourself in a scenario that I had this visual of the rug being taken from under you. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, before the finances dried up in this really vital career that you had, mm -hmm. how you felt about your work? Had there been a change in your connection with your work and your enjoyment of your work? No. Uh, I always had a very high level of satisfaction. I can't even call it gratification. It was satisfaction. I was really happy doing what I was doing. So no, there was no, no change. If anything, I was more pumped up because of the success that I had. Mm -hmm. And what was the reason that the finances dried up? The reason essentially was that I was a one-man show. I, had, I hired a few consultants and contractors to help me out when I had some big marketing events and I needed help in the sales process. But as the owner of a company, of a small business, I was the person to bring in the revenue. No one else, just me. So uh, you f I found that my time was being pulled from implementation on projects that I had sold, which prevented me from generating new sales. Mm -hmm. And that was the issue. So it's, there is a multifaceted aspect of running the business, and you were stretched in many different directions, handling a lot yourself, and it was just right. difficult really to hold up all of those pieces on your own. Precisely. And in hindsight, I realized that all the pain and the frustration and the depression was something that I would be able to utilize as a coach. Because when you and I started working together in outplacement and working with people who needed guidance, I found myself being able to come from a place where these people had either visited or were living in you know, self-doubt and everything else that goes along with that. And I think it, it made me, and it's making me, a more sensitive and caring person. Mm. And I owe that to you. <laughs> I don't know if I can take that much credit, but I appreciate it. You know, so it seems as though getting back on the map of our career, just drawing on some of the themes from your own experience, mm -hmm. when you're actually going through something, it's hard to really 
inventory that experience and the emotions as something that is going to be an asset to you at a later point. Right. That it, there'll be a positive connection to getting back on the map and that you'll be able to engage those personal experiences to be more successful. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you're right, because when you're going through this, you don't think about getting back on the map. You don't think about you know how it's going to be of value to you. You don't because you're so entrenched in the pressure of trying to get back in the game, back on the map, back in in your life again. Because as you say, the rug really felt like it was pulled out. And what did you do at that point? Uh, a lot of tears, um, a lot of isolation, and a lot of um, introspective thinking about where I was in my life, how old I was, what I've accomplished, and what I thought I could do to get back in the game, back on the map as quickly as possible. So uh, I wasn't even concerned about being satisfied and making a living. I was just more concerned about earning enough money to survive. So you had gone from a place of thriving to really being motivated from a place more of survival? Yes. I had closed sales of in excess of $100,000 to a point where I couldn't pay my rent. And I wasn't you know, spending the money recklessly. I was reinvesting it in the business. I appreciate everything that you're sharing because there's certainly this experience that as a coaching professional, that there's no such thing as being on one side of the table and your client is on the other side of the table that we're all exposed to similar influences and that there's a lot of relatability in everything that you're sharing. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. And, and it's true. I think that anything that we can share as coaches, uh, are, if they're identifiable with people that we're collaborating with, it's so much more powerful. I mean, being a recruiter today it's and, and a career coach, I find it invaluable that I have been out of work when I'm coaching people that are out of work. And I find it invaluable that I'm meeting with people who have their own businesses or want to start their own businesses and don't know what to expect. So it helps when you've already got that insight as to what someone else is doing and if they're falling off the map or not. I was speaking with a lawyer who works a lot with entrepreneurs and setting up contracts and other legal matters. And he was sharing with me that he noticed that the most successful entrepreneurs were ones who previously had businesses and had failed. That's interesting. I just read something where uh, the quotation was that failure is part of success. And you're, I think you're so right. But when you're 22 and 23 years old, that doesn't compute. It just doesn't. And in our environment today, you could be in your 40s, you could be in your 50s, in your 60s, in your 70s, if you still need to earn a living and still have that same experience. Of course, of course. It's, It's just a matter of being open to it and being receptive and recognizing it. It would be helpful to hear a little bit more about how you handled the situation and what got you back on the map. Well, it's funny because necessity really drives decisions. And, uh, you know, what what got me back on track was realizing what I could do to bring in money as quickly as I possibly could. 
and I started interviewing with large global marketing companies, large global advertising agencies, large publishers, because I've been in sales since I was about 16 years old. And I was very successful in securing interviews. I was really successful in getting in to meet people who had no idea who I was. Um, got a couple of offers, and I took a couple of offers, and I accepted one. And uh, it wasn't what I wanted, but it, it, it was income. So I just my, my thinking was to bide my time and you know earn enough where I could get back on my feet and then get more focused on what I could do for the long long term as opposed to the short term and you know just paying the bills on a weekly and monthly basis. So um, once I did receive an offer, my confidence came back a little. Once I started working, it was not easy at all. I was on the road almost every day of the week making sales calls. And it wasn't fun. However, it, it forced me to look inside and come to a realization that I needed to put together a roadmap step by step. And I learned that you can't look at the big picture and worry about things that you had no control over. I realized that I had to drill down on an item-by-item basis and do the best I could to get that item crossed off on my list and then move up. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I'm hearing several key strategies in what you're sharing, one which is a very important a co- uh, coaching approach, mm-hmm. which is when you're facing a challenge to take a look at how you can engage your core strengths in being able to work through that channel challenge. And for you, I was hearing that having very strong sales skills that really were a focal point for your career success you look to your sales skills in order to secure interviews, mm-hmm. which you were very successful in doing, mm-hmm. and to attain a new opportunity. So, so one important step was about really engaging your strengths, and that puts you in a place where you feel that you have more of the glass. There's more fullness in the glass. You're not coming from a deficit perspective, even though you're feeling down. That's true, but um, the way I perceived it was it was not identifying my strengths as much as realizing that it was my own personal life jacket. It was, it, it was my safety net. It was the only thing that I knew that I was good at. Mm-hmm. It really was. Mm-hmm. So drawing, you know, you really, it sounds like, though, that's a very strong survival skill that you have, which is that you, you recognize something that you do have in your, in your hat that you can draw on and that you actively engage that. And for you, it wasn't necessarily the ideal opportunity. Mm-hmm. However, you recognize that at least it would offer you a springboard to other opportunities and the peace of mind that you were covering your bills. That's true. However, to utilize that skill set, I needed to be on rock bottom ground, and that's not fun. So it's almost a mm-hmm. dichotomy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting to that place, and it's interesting, however many years later. <laughs> We're not going to go right, into that. that, that we still, <laughs> yes. For yes. anyone, that we still can connect with that experience of what it was like. And when you have similar experiences later in life, sometimes those points can be very tender still. Mm-hmm. And we have to think about how, how we can really engage what we've learned and hopefully experience it a little bit differently. 
I don't want to get spiritual on you, but one thing I've realized is the pain and the suffering and the frustration that I had gone through, and, and again, in hindsight, is something that I'm able to share with people today and that I've been able to share with people since I got back on the map. And when you're going through that, it's the furthest thing from your mind. However, it, once you escape that, that magnet that's pulling you down and you start to springboard higher in your career and in your consciousness, at least with me, I've realized that I, I have gone through those situations so that I'm able to give back to other people. It's something that you can offer as a way to connect with people and help them to understand yes. that you really empathize. And it's more than empathize, it's bonding. It's, you know, it's one thing to tell someone, I, I feel your pain. It's another thing to tell someone, I've been in your shoes, and that's how I feel. That you can offer it as, as an opportunity to really establish a strong connection with the person. That's right, that's right. And, you know, we're only one race here on this planet. And I think anything that we can do to help humanity is beneficial. It's not all about me and I and what I want and what I want to buy and where I want to travel to. There's more, much more to life. That's a lesson I learned the hard way. I'm still learning it. Well, it seems as though you're engaging that in a very positive way in that you're helping other people also to connect with and acknowledge the reality of what they're going through and how they're feeling. Yes. And at the same time that there's a window of opportunity that presents itself that they can engage. That's true. And sometimes we don't see the window because there's some uh, heavy duty curtains on it. And maybe we're just a little blindsided. We can't see the vision. And I think everyone needs to have that vision. Everyone. So it's just a matter of, of being able to receive it and being open to it. And sometimes when we're closed, we miss the opportunity to look at the window. And how do you encourage people to be open? The, the, the best answer to that, Hemda, is to look at what we're facing, what the person is facing, not from the voice in their heads, but to try to be a little more pragmatic and more objective and trying to step back. For example, I get asked to write a bio on myself. You asked me to write a bio about myself for this program. I had a tough time doing it. But when you pull back and look at yourself from someone else's perspective, it's easier. So that's my advice is it's not all about you. It's not all about me. Where Everyone is in a different place in their lives, whether they're on the map or they're falling off the map or they're trying to get back onto the map. The more that we can separate ourselves from the voice in our heads and make a decision. If, For example, if I hired myself to write a bio, how would I write it? And that's how I gave you my bio. So for someone going through a difficult point, I asked them if it were their friend or their family member, what advice would they give them? That helps to remove you from that connection, that it's not just all about you. 
So you're helping people to really step back that when we're in a situation where a lot of emotions are engaged, we may not be feeling great about life. We may not be feeling great about ourselves and we're called upon to present ourselves effectively. And one strategy for doing that, as I understand, is to be able to step back and think about also how other people might describe you or what advice you might give to other people in that situation. That's true, but the the, the difficulty is is separating from the emotion. That's the that's the challenge because we're all emotionally connected to where we are, whether we're in a great place or we're struggling. We've got that emotional locked in connection, and if we separate it, if we break that connection temporarily, we have a different view. So it seems as the important point that you're making here is that. You want to come out of the emotional place that you're in to be able to integrate a different perspective that will help you to move forward. Exactly. It's so similar to the advice that you give and that I have given in the past where, you know, we're talking with with job seekers, with people that want to improve their careers. And we try to communicate the fact that they are not their resume and people just focus on their resume. Well, fine. The resume serves a purpose, but it's not who you are. You know, people make a decision about who you are when they speak with you. It's not when they read your resume. They've read your resume and you're in front of someone because you're qualified. You know, so the most valuable asset everyone has is not their resume, it's their state of mind. We're going to segue to a brief commercial. This is Hemda Mizrahi with recruitment manager and career coach Steve Davis. Stay with us on Turn the Page to hear more about getting back on the map of your career. We'll be back shortly. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. 
Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with IT recruitment manager and career coach Steve Davis. Steve spoke very eloquently about his own personal experience of getting back on the map in his career. I'd love to hear about an experience that you had with one of the clients you coached. Perhaps his circumstances were a little bit different than yours. And what strategies both of you used together to help him to get, or her, to get back on the map? Well, there there are so many examples, but uh, the one that really comes to mind the most is um, when I first started career coaching for the bank that we worked for. Um, My first client I ever had walked into my office on Park Avenue in Manhattan, sat down, and I was my friendly, normal self, and we'll call him Frank. That wasn't his real name, but we'll call him Frank. And uh, I introduced myself, he introduced himself, and I immediately noticed that his body language was not really positive. Uh, he was leaning down and he was sitting in front of my desk, but he, w- he wasn't giving me much eye contact. Didn't seem too happy. And I knew if he was in my office, his position was going to be eliminated. I knew it because that's what we did. So um, I asked Frank immediately, so how are you handling this change in your job? And he just blew me out of the water. I I had no idea that I was going to hear what I heard. And what Frank said to me was, um, my manager called me into her office uh, a couple of days ago and said, I needed to speak with you. We need to talk. Those are the famous words, the infamous words, we need to talk. At which point he was informed that his position was going to be eliminated. Now, Frank uh, was married, he told me, and had a son. He was crazy about his son. And um, as he was explaining the story, I could see he was a little uh, tense, to say the least. And uh, then he, I said, okay, uh, you know, this is something that's a common occurrence with many people. Let's talk about it and see what, if we can get a, a plan. And he said, I'm not finished yet. Okay, so please continue, I asked him, and he proceeded to explain that when he got home, he informed his wife about his change in his job. She told him that she wanted a divorce immediately, and she was leaving him. And that's when he started to tear up, and he said, Steve, I... You know, I'm not going to get into my marriage with you, but I will tell you that the most important thing in my life is my son, and I am not going to lose my son. And so all of a sudden, remembering the story I just mentioned to you, Hemda, and how I was off the map and how I was just scraping my knees on the sidewalk, trying to scrape up a job, and here I am, my first client, and he's telling me he's losing his job, he lost his wife, and he's afraid he's going to lose his son. Oh, my gosh. How do you deal with that? So how's that for an example? Mm. It certainly brings out the point, that another relatable point, which is that sometimes one thing happens and it's coupled with so many other things that a person is dealing with in a very profound way. Exactly. And it's not all about me. It's like, why is this happening to me? You know, we can't play the victim. 
you know, life is really, really unpredictable. And, you know, a lot of good happens, a lot of bad happens, and a lot of ugly happens. Uh, however, you know, speaking with Frank, I, am, I, I had to use a lot of self-control myself just to shut that voice off in my head that was reminding me of what I was going through. And I was going through some, I was still going through some difficult times on a personal level in my own life. And I couldn't let that interfere with my coaching. So uh, how did I get him back on track? It was a matter of scheduling more coaching sessions, uh, giving him my email, giving him my phone number, keeping in touch with him and informing him that he he is not his job. His job is not who he is. Number one. And number two, we talked about choices because we always have choices in life. We might think we don't have any, but there's always options. So uh, we started to build a, a trust factor where he trusted me and I, I believed in him and his capabilities because he was a talented, very talented professional. And I knew just from his, his resume and the work he did for the bank that he was going to land the job. I knew it. I think everyone's going to land where they belong. And it's just a matter of getting the knowledge and the experience and the confidence to get that offer and, and get that landing. So we resolved it over about three months. Um, he started to, we worked on his resume. He started to realize that he could get out there and try to find another position outside of the company, which he did. And he started getting interviews and we started to do mock interviews and practicing. And I would give him suggestions and he would give me feedback. And to make a long story short, he received an offer from a publishing company, a publishing company for about $20,000 a year less than he was earning at the bank. And he informed me that he didn't want the job, but he, I asked him to get the offer in writing. First it was verbal, then he got it in writing. So he knew he had the job and he accepted it. And he, I, he, he shared the fact that he is, was accepting the position because he needed the money. He needed the benefits and he did and he took it. Well, amazing how life works about three weeks into the job, three weeks after he started, he received an offer from another bank for $30,000 a year more than what this publishing company was paying him. And then we decided on how to have a, a, an exit strategy without burning any bridges, which is what he did. And uh, he started to come around. And ultimately, we became friends. How did... You developed this exit strategy. What approach did he take in having that dialogue? Oh, you mean with his new employer? Oh, exactly, for the position that he was at for three weeks. Well, you know, it's a very difficult situation, but as a recruiter, it happens more frequently than you can ever imagine. It's it's almost a, a weekly occurrence in the industry. It really is. So the strategy was very basic. I And we practiced the communication. Uh, I suggested that he speak with the person that, you know, his hiring manager, the person he reported to, and just sit down and explain it in this way. I'm really excited to be 
in the company. It seems like a great firm. I'm really, you know, I, I believe in the culture. I believe in the people. However, before I even interviewed with you, I was interviewing with this other company. They, I had no idea that they were going to come back to me with an offer. And they came back to me with an offer after I started here. And it's the job I really wanted. So I'll give you as much notice as you need if you need to replace me. But I would like to keep in touch with you. And I want to thank you and let me know if there's anything I can do. It was a very honest conversation. Yes. And it seems as though it was also acknowledging the need of the employer to facilitate a smooth transition. So it wasn't just about, um, I I got a better opportunity, I'm out of here. Right, exactly. But more so, this is really the thing that's going on, which is, I've used the word relatable a number of times in our conversation, and it seems as though... That's where it's at oftentimes in honest conversations is that as human beings, we share similar experiences and we can appreciate when someone finds an opportunity that really suits them. And we can appreciate what it's like when you're in a job search and you have family to support and you really feel a strong pressure to land an opportunity right away. And I'm thankful that you made this point because in the illustration that you offered about your own experience, you shared that in order to make your bill payments, your regular bill payments, that you took on an opportunity that wasn't ideal. And, you know, that can extend a little bit longer and it could be short, just like this opportunity that you shared Mm -hmm. with your client whom you helped. And I also would like to acknowledge, since we're talking about strategies that are actionable that can be taken from this conversation, that having a partner in this process, it sounds like was extraordinarily instrumental for your client, that you were in a situation where you were able to be with him around his emotional state. He felt comfortable sharing with you, not just the facts of the situation, but also how he felt. Mm -hmm. And you were able to receive that Mm -hmm. in in a way that he felt supported. It also seems as though, in addition to the support aspect, the emotional support that you helped to provide structure, you had regular meetings, you developed a plan together, Mm -hmm. you helped him put together his marketing, Mm -hmm. you really helped to lift him up and encourage him. Well, it's funny that you say it that way, because I was not focused on, on lifting him up. I felt that if I put together a plan, an unemotional plan, a business plan, a marketing plan for Frank's, and that's what we called it. We called it Frank's Job Search Plan. No emotion. I asked him to put together a list of companies he'd like to work for. I, I asked him to think about how he could network with people. I asked him, you know, how we can, you know, improve his cover letters. I, I asked him, I, I transferred knowledge over to him to show him how he could revise his resume to increase the odds of getting feedback. So the more that I encouraged him to get on the job search plan, the less time he had to think about the emotion. It seems like there's a sandwich here. We have the emotional component, which we're certainly not denying. We're acknowledging. And this is also research-based, that in order to work through emotions and get to that point that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that springboard of logic that helps you to move forward that it's important to acknowledge and name the emotions and then be available yes. 
for some of those rational steps, yes. those proven strategies that work for people when it comes to career transition and getting back on the map. Well, that's such an enormous statement you just made, Hamda, because uh, there's a gentleman, I'm sure you know, his name is Daniel Goleman, and he has harnessed emotional intelligence. And if you, you know, any of our listeners would like to Google him or look him up on the internet, the man has taken the emotional intelligence of the job search and of the career advancement and incorporated it into impactful words that register with people universally. And I heard something recently that hiring managers usually make hiring decisions within the first three minutes of an interview. Three minutes. So when you comprehend that, people are judging other people based on their emotional intelligence. You know, and interviews are specifically structured to identify that personality. Will Stephen Davis fit in a group with Rashid and Joanne and Caroline and... The whole group, will they like him? Will he fit in the group? And that happens almost immediately from the time someone in an interview asks, so what are you looking for? Or tell me about yourself. Or, you know, so why do you think you're a good fit? You've got one chance to make that first impression, and that will carry you forward. It seems then that there's this element aside from can someone do the job, do they have the technical skills that Hmm. part of the first impression the first 30 seconds, the first few minutes, right. is whether or not personality-wise and philosophy-wise and value-wise, the person you're meeting with is going to fit into the environment. Oh, exactly. That's why a lot of hiring managers will you know, screen candidates and identify the top 10 and maybe bring in the top five. Every one of them is qualified. Who's going to get the offer? Think about it. Thousands of people apply to positions every day. Thousands of people have interviews on the phone and then are brought in in person every day. Only one person gets the job. Who is it? It's the person with that magnetism, with that chemistry, with that cultural fit that impresses all the decision makers and even the influencers on the decision that this person has the DNA to do the job. They all know they have the skills. It's the personality. And how did you find in, in this particular case of Frank, the client whom you've been sharing yes. a very poignant story about? Oh, uh, yes. In his situation, you, the second job turned out to be the one that was the best fit. It was. And I'm just wondering, since you underscore the piece about personality, which is interesting that sometimes in our own experience of job search. Right. As, at least what I've learned about longevity in work is that it's so important to look at this issue of whether or not people share similar values and philosophies and goals Right. as part of understanding what kind of relationships you have the potential to develop in that environment mm-hmm. and how you can position yourself to succeed. That That's yes. a very important ingredient around that. It really is. Yes, I'd love to okay. hear more about that. I'm here with Steve Davis. <laughs> Recruitment and career coaching expert offering some fabulous tips on getting back on the map in your career from many different directions. When we come back, we're going to talk more about Frank's story and how that's transpired. I know Steve said that 
uh, you're still in touch and, and that you're friends. We'd love to hear about what his level of satisfaction is and some more thoughts that you have. Stay with us. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back on Turn the Page. This is Hemda Mizrahi speaking with recruitment manager and career coach Steve Davis. Steve has provided some excellent proven strategies that have enabled thousands of his clients to revitalize careers. We've been sharing a really illustrative story about a client named Frank. And Steve, I'd love to hear more about how this story continued to evolve and some other tips that you might have related to it. Well, thanks, Hemda. Uh, this is just the, uh, the, the last chapter in Frank's career. Um, as we mentioned before the break, he had accepted a job uh, with a, another bank for uh, you know, more money, better comp package, and was very happy for the first couple of years on the job. All of a sudden, the bank was sold. They were taken over by another bank. And everyone that was in the old company was out, and all of Frank's senior managers were new. And the entire culture changed, and all of a sudden, Frank was not a happy camper. Uh, the politics that were going on and the challenges at work were stressing him out really badly. Uh, so it's amazing how life happens because, as you mentioned, we remained friends during the process. And this latest event just recently happened about three months ago where Frank was upset and he was looking for a job while he was still employed. 
uh, one of his former colleagues at the initial bank that you and I worked with had seen him on LinkedIn and pinged him and said, hey, Frank, how are you? And Frank told him he was going through changes on his job while his colleague told Frank that there was an opening in his company for the skill sets that Frank has. So long story short, Frank had an in-person meeting with the company, went well. Over the next three weeks, he had 10 interviews, the last of which were on Skype, three different days. And the last day, the interview lasted almost two hours with, with one person. And really, really interesting story. Frank wanted this job more than anything for many, many reasons, but the most important was they offered a pension, which is, as you know, Hemda, it's rare that someone gets a pension today. You know, severance, okay, but a pension? So the benefits were ridiculous. They paid for 90% of the health care, and Frank loved the job. He, he really enjoyed the people that he met with, and the process started to drag out, and Frank had not heard anything after his ninth interview. So uh, out of nowhere, you know, he called his buddy who got him in and his buddy told him that uh, the decision was down to Frank and one other person and there was going to be another interview to make the final decision. Well, it was on Skype and, and Frank's immediate manager was out of Dallas, Texas in the United States and Frank relayed the call to me. And one of the questions on this, this Skype interview was a question that Frank didn't know the answer to. The question preceding it was a behavioral question. The manager asked Frank if he won the lottery and he won $100 million, what would he do? So it seems like a hypothetical Hypothetical, but it was all, again, emotional intelligence. It was, you know, they wanted to find out what he was made of. And he answered the question, and, and I thought a great way. And the next question that he was asked, he could not answer. He didn't know the answer. It was a technical question, job-related. He didn't know the answer. And as he was explaining it to me, what went through his mind, he said, was, do I lie and make something up, or do I just come clean and be honest and say, you know what? I Honestly, I don't know. I, I'll research it. And can I get back to you? So ultimately, Frank, being honest Frank, told the manager that he did not know the answer to the question. He would be happy to look into it, and could he please get back to him? Hung the, the Skype up. The Skype was over. The interview was over. And Frank thought he blew it. He thought he had no chance in the world of getting this job because he could not answer the question. A week later, he got the offer. And a month and a half after he started the job, he bumped into the person that asked him the question that he could not answer. And he said, can I just ask you off the record, I got the job, I'm not worried any longer, I'm not afraid, but would you mind explaining to me why I couldn't answer that question? Why did I get the offer over another candidate? And the manager, who was very senior level in the company, explained to him that integrity that Frank has integrity. And the other person answered the question, but was arrogant. Answered it like, how dare you ask me? It's a piece of cake. Frank was honest. And the manager admitted that he needed someone on his team 
that he could trust and believe. How's that for a story? It seems like can't make this up. (laughs) (laughs) It goes to show that humility can go a long way, and that sometimes we need we we feel an impetus to mold ourselves to what we see as the expectations of the person speaking with us, and we may not be on point. Right. And certainly what your your point about behavioral interview question, which asks about how you reacted to certain situations in the past or hypotheticals, how would you react in future, mm-hmm. offer an indication to employers of what you would be like on the job. Exactly, because past behavior is an indicator of future behavior, as you know. So coming from a place where it's okay that you don't know and acknowledging that you don't know, right. and, and there was a part B to it, which was he indicated that he would be able to come up with the answer. Correct. After re- doing some research. Correct. He didn't just say, I don't know. We're talking about getting back on the map today, and we can see in this one story and in all of our lives that it means it's a repeated experience. And it sounds, and let me know if, if this is an accurate statement, from how you describe Frank's story that he was really hard hit the first time given many personal life circumstances. And when it happened to him again, he drew on all of those strengths and skills that he had built, mm-hmm. which again can speak to the value of working with a career coach. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to acknowledge the effectiveness of your work with him Thanks. in this. Thanks. In really helping him to get to the organizational part and get to the part about reaching out and, you know, securing 10 interviews, you said, was it within a week period? It was within two weeks, two or three weeks. Within two or three weeks. Right. So just the act of being out there talking about yourself, getting that practice without the pressure so much, even if the opportunity is not at the top of your list, that at least the focus is on preparation. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, the focus is also not only on preparation, but on self-awareness and being able to know who you are and communicate it in an effective way. You mentioned emotional intelligence, speaking of self-awareness, yes, a number of times, and that certainly is a very core piece and also can be a very painful part of going through career transitions and at the same time a very strengthening part sure. if we engage in it. If we engage in it, that's the key. Steve, you shared a wonderful personal story, and you shared a great story about a client that I think offers a lot of very significant and helpful tips about getting on the map in our career, not just once, twice, however many times we need to. Mm -hmm. And like many stories, it's interesting to hear a bit about the morals. So as you're, what is the moral of the story? So if you think about the story that you shared Mm -hmm. about making a segue in your career, Mm-hmm. And take you know really engaging the strengths that you had to take on an opportunity as an interim position while you were building yourself toward a more ideal situation. Mm-hmm. What would you say was the moral of your story? That's a great question. Uh, I never thought about it that way, but uh, my instant reaction is the moral of the story is that searching for a job is a journey. And you don't know what's around the corner. And I've got to, you know, tell you, and I know you know this already, but I've got to share this with you that 
I have coached and still coach a lot of people who have offers to go on interviews and they don't want to go. Oh, it's not for me. Oh, I don't want to work there. Oh, this job is not for me. It's too junior or it's too this or it's too that. And my moral really is go and explore any opportunity. Anyone that wants to interview you, take the interview. Because what you bring back when you get back on the map is the experience of how you answer questions, how you present yourself, and how you ask questions. And it is that emotional intelligence. And it is that self-awareness. And you don't need to take it if you get the offer, if you feel it's not right for you. But you don't know what what that experience is going to be of value. You don't know when it's going to be of value. It will. Because the more you practice and the more you see what's available and the more that you refine your skills, your communication skills, when you do land that interview for the job you really want, you'll be able to draw upon all the experience that you've had practicing with a coach and having firsthand experience in a live or a phone interview. That's the moral. Don't make snap judgments. Look at the big picture. And that seems to be an important principle with any kind of investment. Mm-hmm. As we're very cautious about how we're engaging our time, particularly in situations where you have a family, mm-hmm. that the idea, as it seems you're suggesting, is to really look past the surface value mm-hmm. of a situation, mm-hmm. bring a sense of curiosity mm-hmm. and openness to your job search, and step into situations to offer yourself a chance to see what the value is. It's also having an open mind. I mean, you and I worked with people who were coming off full-time jobs for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And I can't tell you how many people I have met recently who lose their job and they want another permanent position. And along the way, they have opportunities to take contract work. And, oh, no, I don't want a contract job. Oh, I need the benefits. I need the security. Well, the job search process has changed. The employment status has changed in the last 20 years. You know, the the days of having 25 years and a gold watch on a job are gone, as you know. And, you know, when, when someone steps back, sometimes that will catapult them to go forward. And people that are afraid to step back may never go forward. So in my personal life, I've gone back three, four, five steps. I've also gone forward three, four, five steps. So having the open mind, I think that's the moral, have an open mind. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a very critical point given that it's not just the perceptions, your own perceptions that you're dealing with when you're not feeling so good about a career transition. Even if you're employed and you're doing fine in your current job, and you're just not at that point of satisfaction, that you're suggesting if you take on an opportunity Mm -hmm. that really, in a sense, doesn't do you justice, Mm -hmm. that as opposed to looking at it as a one down, that you look at it as a segue, a bridge. Correct. It's a path. It's a bridge. That's what it is. It's a bridge. It's it's almost like, like I have career coaching clients who are employed. And they're not happy with their position. They want to move inward and upward, internal mobility. And, or they may want to leave the firm altogether. If they start to look at their immediate manager 
and even though they may not be on the same page and understand what that manager is facing in that person's own performance, they'll get a better idea of what they need to do to improve their quality. Steve, outstanding points. I'd like to ask how you can be reached if if someone wants to learn a little bit more about your services and contact you. What's the best way to reach you? Thank you. Uh, my website, uh, the company name is Renaissance Solutions Incorporated, and that's R-E-N-A-I-S-S-A-N-C-E. Most people uh, have a little difficulty spelling it. It's uh, renaissance-sol.com. Thanks so much, Steve, for this invaluable storytelling and suggestions. Thanks for tuning in today, and remember to make the grass greener where you are. This is Hemda Mizrahi with Turn the Page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.